Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Angel's up here doing her best Oprah impression. You get a t-shirt, and you get a t-shirt, and everybody gets a t-shirt. If you want one, they, they are for sale out in the, the foyer. Uh, also, she did mention the locks. If, if you weren't here the week we did the locks, or maybe you, uh, you've been praying and God's dropped somebody in your heart, there is a, uh, there is a box of locks out there with uh, some Sharpies. Would encourage you today, uh, just take one of these locks, write the name of that person that you're praying for this year, put it on the fence, and we're going to believe God to do some incredible things as we, uh, as we do our part, and again, as the Holy Spirit does his part. Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to get into a new series today, but for those of you that are Dream City regulars, you know that laughter prepares us for learning. And so uh, the, the joke of the day, if you're ready for it, I know some of you are like, you, like, you wait for these. Some of you, it's like, man, I wonder what joke Pastor John is going to tell this week. Some of you could care less. And it's like, this is lame and this is stupid. Just open the Bible and, and tell me what God says. I don't care about your dad jokes. Well, guess what? My microphone is turned on, so you will get a dad joke today. And, uh, and so, so here's the joke for today. What is made of leather and sounds like a sneeze? What is made of leather and sounds like a sneeze? A shoe. Somebody... Somebody in the back knew it. A shoe. A shoe is made of leather and sounds like a sneeze. All right. We're going we're gonna to just act like that one didn't happen because apparently that one wasn't dad joke enough for you. Uh, today we're starting a new series. We, we've wrapped up the B1 Reach 1 series and we're starting a new series entitled Bridges. Somebody say Bridges. Now, what are we talking about when we're talking about bridges? We're, we're talking really about relationships because we, we all know the saying that, you know, you could, you could burn a bridge or you could build a bridge. And when it comes to our relationships, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. There are specific things that will contribute to either the building or the burning of those bridges. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about different relationships and things that burn bridges and things that will build bridges. Because every day in your life, you are either placing a brick to build or you are removing a brick in the destruction of relationships and, and the bridges in them. Today, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about our relationship with God. What are those things that we do that will either contribute to the burning or the building of our relationship with the Lord. Next week, Pastor Angel and I will both be up here and we're going to be kind of tag teaming and, and talking about in a marriage relationship, in a married relationship, what are those things? And she's going to tell you all the ways that I've burned bridges and I'll tell you all the ways that she's built bridges because that's kind of how it's played out in the last 17 years. And thankfully, I married a therapist because God knew I would need one desperately. <laughs> So we'll be talking about married relationships, and then the next week, Pastor Dobie's going to be teaching on, on, as parents, what are those things that build or burn relationships with our kids, and how do we parent well? How do we raise kids? And then the final week, we're going to be talking about in, in terms of friendship. 
just general relationship, the people around us, what, how are we building bridges? How are we burning bridges? So would encourage you to, to make sure that you're here every week during this series. I, I pray and I know that you're going to be blessed through it and God is going to challenge and encourage you. But today we're talking about the, the, our relationship with God and, and the, the idea of bridges. You know, as I was thinking about bridges, what, what is a bridge? A bridge is something that connects two, two points that otherwise would be, would be difficult to to connect, right? Whether it's a, a bridge over a river or, or a bridge over a canyon, a bridge over something, it's, it's, it's designed to connect one thing to another. And in our relationships, there are things that, that provide that connection and bring that connection. Last year, I was in, I was in Scotland. And, uh, and as I was in Scotland, I was, I was fascinated with with the history. I love history. I'm a history nerd. I, I like watching the History Channel. I like watching documentaries. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. And as I'm in and I'm driving around Scotland, I can't help but like go back. I wonder what it was like hundreds of years ago as William Wallace and his men were we're running around the highlands and running around the countryside. And, and one day while we were in Scotland, we went to Stirling Castle. And, and as we, we went to Stirling Castle, we, we, we kind of got connected to this, this tour guide. Now, my suggestion to you is, is if you ever go, don't pay for the tour, just follow along somebody else's tour. <laughs> just, just close enough to be able to eavesdrop on what the tour guide is saying. And so, so as we're in the, the castle and we're walking around the castle, uh, if you've seen the movie, there's one scene where it's the Battle of Stirling. And we see that, that William Wallace gives victory in this battle of Stirling. And, and as we were in this castle, we went up to the castle and to, to the top of the castle where the cannons were, where they would shoot from the, the castle. And the, the tour guide began telling the story of the battle of Stirling. And, and as I was standing up there, I took a picture and, and we'll just go ahead and put that up there. So this is from the top of Stirling Castle looking out. And, and over here on, on this hill, on the right side of the screen, there's a, a monument coming out of the trees on top of that hill. It's the National William Wallace Memorial. And the reason why the memorial is there is because in Stirling, there's this river, the River Forth is the name of it, that runs through the middle of town. And there's one bridge that crosses one side and connects one side of the river to the other. And when the English were invading, William Wallace knew that if the English were going to move into the northern highlands with their supplies and, and everything that they would need, that the only place for them to pass was to, to cross the river was at Stirling. It was the only bridge that was able to, to, to transport enough equipment across. And so what William Wallace did is he and his men hid on that hill in those trees, waited for the English to come across. And as they began to cross the river and to cross this bridge, they ambushed them from the trees and, and secured victory that day. And, and as the, the tour guide is telling the story, he's talking about how important this bridge was because it was the only thing that connected the, the lower lands, which is where England was, to the northern highlands where the, the rebels and the Scottish were, were hiding out. And so if the, the English were going to come through, it had to be there. And William Wallace knew that. And so he planned his attack based on this bridge. 
And it got me thinking and, and, and watching documentaries and watching History Channel and, and thinking about the importance of bridges. And as I was thinking about this series and thinking about the importance of bridges, every, every major war that's been fought, there has been an emphasis on bridges. Even going back to, to World War II, what the, the Germans and the Italians, the Axis forces would do is they would, they would destroy bridges to keep the Allied troops and the Allied armies from invading and crossing into their territory. Such an emphasis was placed on the bridges that the Allied forces had, had no way of progressing militarily. Strategically, they knew what they wanted to do. They knew the, the places they had to go. They just couldn't get there. And then along came a, an engineer by the name of Donald Bailey. And he, he developed what's known today as the Bailey Bridge. And the Bailey Bridge was essentially just a huge erector set. You guys, anybody remember erector sets? You would put them together. It's like Legos, okay? It's giant Legos. And in World War II, this was, this was a picture of troops building a Bailey Bridge across a river in Europe. What was phenomenal about the Bailey Bridge is that troops could put them together just with, with a, a squad of troops and some wrenches. They could build a bridge on one side of the river and just slowly push it out over the river until it reached the other side. And it was strong enough to take tanks and all the supplies. At the end of the war, President Eisenhower was asked, what do you think contributed the most to the victory in World War II. And he said, top three has to be the bomber, the radar, and the Bailey Bridge. Because if we couldn't cross those rivers, there's no way we would have secured victory. If we couldn't have connected those two points, there's no way that, that this would have gone in our favor. Bridges are important. Bridges in your life are important. Bridges in relationship are important. This morning as we, we talk about the, the bridges that connect us to God, how we burn, how we build, how, how we need to take care, I want you to know, first of all, that you were created to be in relationship with God. You were created for communion with Him. You were created by Him and for Him. And I think sometimes when we think about our relationship with God, we have this idea of like God walking ahead of us and we follow in his footsteps. You ever seen that painting of the two sets of footprints on the beach and then there's one set of footprints and it's like, well, how come there's only one set here? God, did you leave me? No, that's when I was carrying you, right? Like that's the cute little story. We think of God leading us and, and us following behind him. Or some of us, we think of, you know, us going ahead and God following behind us. But, but I think that's a misnomer. I don't think that's how our relationship with God really looks. When Jewel was little, one of the things that she used to like to do was to, to stand on my feet. And as she would stand on my feet, she would hold on to my hands and her right foot would be on my right foot and her left foot would be on my left foot. And she'd say, let's go, daddy. And I began to, you know, how many dads have ever done that with your, with your kid? You move and they move. Dad, dad let's go faster. And you try and, you try and run like that. And then you dance like that. And as I move, she moved. And that's what scripture says. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. And if there's anything that disconnects us from him, it goes wrong. We fall and 
we get bruises and we get scrapes and we get scars because life is difficult. But in our relationship with God, it's not him walking ahead and us following behind. And it's not, it's not us walking ahead and him following. It's not even us walking side by side, but it's literally everything that we do having our being in him. And as he moves, we move. And when he goes this way, we go that way. And when he says no, we say no. And when he says yes, we say Yes, that's the relationship that we were created for. That's the picture. And so this morning, if, if that's the, 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 the relate, that's, that, that's the idea that God had when he created me, then, then I need to understand what hinders and what helps us to move like that together. So this morning, as we get into it, what burns that bridge? In my relationship with the Lord, what burns that bridge? I think 1 John chapter 2 is a good place for us to start. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's really talking about burning bridges. If you love the world, there is no bridge. There is no connection. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does does the will of God abides forever. What burns that bridge? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, it would have been very easy for me, and I struggled with it because it's like, you know, theologically, when we talk about separation between man and God, we all know what creates that separation. Sin. And I could have gotten up here today and said, what burns the bridge between us and God? Sin. Closed our Bibles and said, let's go home. Because really that's what it is. It's sin. But what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Romans tells us that we've all sinned. The Bible says if, if somebody says that they have not sinned, they're only fooling themselves. Sin is simply missing the mark for us to, to know what is the good thing we should do and do it not. The Bible says for us it is sin. And so sin, we know, came in the garden, and with sin came death, and with sin came separation from God. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden in communion, in relationship, knowing the goodness and the fullness of God. But when they sinned, what happened? They were cast out of the garden and out of God's presence. It brought separation. It brought death. And so the thing that burns that bridge ultimately is sin. But I didn't want to just get up here and give you the church and the Christian answer and say it's sin without giving you an idea of what to look for. Because the enemy doesn't just come and say, hey, do you want to try sin? Like, sure, I'll give it a shot. He's very strategic in how he, how he infiltrates your mind and your heart in your life and your marriage and your relationships. He's very strategic in how he goes about his business. And first John tells us he, he comes with the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. And it's like, well, but, but sin came in Genesis. Separation came in Genesis. Well, yeah, but when you look at Genesis chapter three, you see the exact same thing. The woman was convinced she, what? She saw that the tree was beautiful. That's the desire of the eyes. Its fruit looked delicious. That's the desire of the flesh. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. That's the pride of life. So the three things that we see in 1 John are the same things that the enemy used to tempt Eve 
way back in the garden. The same things that drug Eve away are the same things that drag us away. It's the things that we want, it's the things that we see, and it's the way we think of ourselves. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of light. This morning, I wanna, I wanna get into each of these. Let's first talk about the desires of the flesh. If you're taking notes today, I would encourage you to write that down. What burns the bridge between me and God? Number one, the desires of the flesh. James chapter one, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us, drag us away. The enemy is tempting me. The only reason the enemy can tempt you is because he knows what you want. Because he knows what's inside of here. The desires of the flesh is anything that answers this question, what feels good to me? What feels good to me? What is going to satisfy something in me? That is a desire of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 tells us what the flesh produces. And in verse 22, he tells us what the spirit produces. But before that, he tells us what the flesh produces. He says, it's things like sexual immorality, idolatry, impurity, lustful desires, hostility, jealousy, anger, division, envy, drunkenness. Anyone who lives this kind of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, is what Paul says. All of those things are desires of the flesh. They're things that feel good to us. As, as Americans, as Christians today, I think one of the things that destroys our relationship with God is our comfort. Comfort is a desire of the flesh that is insatiable because we all like to be comfortable. The reason we buy new beds is because ours isn't comfortable enough. It's too firm. It's too soft. And then you get married and realize one of you likes it firm and one of you likes it soft. And so you have to buy one of those special sleep number beds where each person gets their own setting and their own, and then, then the couch. And then, you know, when we bought the couch, the couch was so comfortable, but now all the padding in the couch seems to be just all worn out and the, the recliner reclines back too far and I feel like I'm gonna fall. It's not comfortable anymore. We need to buy a new couch. And then the, the TV, when we bought the 60 inch, we thought that that was gonna be all we ever needed. But now we find ourselves squinting at it the older we get and we don't need a 60 inch anymore. We need a 85 inch because those are on sale at Walmart right now. So we need to go get get us a new TV and all of the things that we do. And, and listen, it's five degrees outside. Why are we going to go to church today? Let's just sit at home where it's warm and we, hey, we have coffee in our pajamas and our brand new comfortable couch. And let's watch church on our 85 inch TV because this is where we're really comfortable. And if you're at home watching on an 85 inch TV, invite me over for the Super Bowl. Because <laughs> my team's out of it now and I don't even care anymore. <laughs> but comfort is one of those things like it's a desire of the flesh how many of you like to be uncomfortable nobody nobody likes to be uncomfortable but here's the dangerous thing with comfort comfort will ultimately lead to complacency when you get comfortable and you stay comfortable you become complacent and when you become complacent, complacency will always lead to apathy. And apathy will lead to death. So we want to be comfortable, but be careful. Because you are dying in your comfort. You are dying spiritually in your comfort. 
Your marriage is dying because you want to be comfortable. Your, your kids are dying because you want to be comfortable. The things around you are dying because you are too consumed with staying comfortable. Leads to complacency, leads to apathy, leads to death. I read a story about this woman who one day she sat down on her couch. She got comfortable. She didn't want to get up, so she made other people cook her meals and bring her her meals. She stayed on that couch. Her comfort turned to complacency. Now she had no desire to do anything. Her complacency turned to apathy. And rather than getting up and going to the bathroom, she had other people take care of those needs for her as well. Never got off the couch for six years. She stayed in the exact same spot. And many of us know what would happen if we stayed in the same spot for that length of time. You develop sores and open wounds on your skin. But the crazy thing is her complacency and her apathy in response to her comfort refused to let her get up and address those sores. And so as her skin began to try and heal itself, it became fused to the fabric on this couch. And I'm not making this up. This is, this is a true story. For six years, this woman stayed sitting in the same spot on this couch and her body literally fused itself to the couch to where when she had a medical emergency, the EMTs that came into the house could not get her out of the house because they had to take her out with the couch because they couldn't separate her from her place of comfort to heal and to treat what was ultimately wrong with her. And I read that and it's like, man, like I think our first question, any of us is like, how does it get to that point? Like, how could you, how could you let it get to that point? But I think if, if we evaluated our relationship with God, I wonder how many of us would be able to ask the same question, like, I'm so far from God. How did it get to this point? I just got comfortable one day and stayed home. I just got comfortable one day and stopped praying. I just got comfortable one day and started taking care of myself. And here I am six years later, and there's, there's this emergency situation that I need, and I'm looking around, and it's like, how did I get here? Your comfort will lead to complacency, will take you to a place of apathy, and ultimately will bring about death. It's the desires of the flesh. What are those things that you are doing that feel good to you that are burning the bridge between you and God? The second thing is the desire of the eyes. What is the desire of the eyes? It's anything that looks good to me. What are those things that you see where it's like, I got to have that? We live in such an eye candy world. You're being marketed to you every minute of every day. On your phone, on the TV, on your computer. What's, what's stinking crazy now is like, we can have a conversation and I can say like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about buying one of these. Fill in the blank, whatever these are. I remember a couple of years ago, we were in staff meeting one day and we were talking about Easter and, and, and it, was, it was during COVID. And I said, you know, I want to, I want to deliver uh, communion elements to everybody for Easter and I'm going to do it on my motorcycle. And somebody said, you should do it with one of those motorcycle Easter bunny with the ear things. 
And I was like, that would be so much fun. Like we were just talking about it. Later that afternoon, I opened up my phone and opened up Facebook and guess what the advertisement was right there? I'm not even joking. It was the motorcycle helmet cover with the Easter bunny ears. And it was like, hey, I was just eavesdropping on your conversation and you were talking about maybe wanting to buy one of these. Here's a place you could buy it. You're being marketed to every minute of every day. Eye candy, what looks good? And we see these things, it's like, I have to have that. Well, have you thought about this? Well, look at it over here, new and improved, brand new, everything. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the desire of the eyes, what we are looking at is dragging you away from God. What are those things that you just have to have because it looks good to me? In Ecclesiastes chapter one, Solomon says, the eye isn't content with just seeing. The eye is never content with just seeing because the eye will see and then the heart will want. In the Old Testament, God dealt with this and he said, thou shalt not what? Covet. What is it to covet? It's to see something that somebody else has and want it for yourself. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the desire of the eyes. How does this burn our bridge with God? How does, how does me looking and wanting these things, this, this idea of materialism, how does, that, how does that hinder my relationship with God? Because it takes your eyes off of him. It puts your eyes and your desire on all of these other things that the world has to offer. Well, look at this, look at that, look at this. But what does the scripture say? The scripture tells us to keep our eyes upon God. Hebrews chapter 12, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, let us strip off the weight that slows us down, the sin that trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, not the things of the world. You can't live the life you were called to live by keeping your eyes on the things the world has to offer. You can't be the man or the woman of God that you were created to be while running after the things that the world has to offer. The only way you can live that life is by keeping your eyes on Jesus. And the world is doing everything it can to distract you and remove your eyes from him and place it on what it has to offer. You reach out and you grab it only to find that it's like sand that sifts through your fingers. It's the desires of the flesh. It's the desires of the eyes. It's the pride of life. These are the things that, that feel good to us. These are the things that look good to us. And the pride of life is, is when I think too highly of myself. When I have a, a misunderstanding of who I am. Leads us to arrogance. It leads us to a place of self-dependence. It leads us to, to say, you know, God, I, I don't really need you. I think I can handle this on my own. It leads us to boasting. You know what pride leads us to? It leads us to unforgiveness. Pride leads us to picking up offenses. Because, you know, when we, when, we, when we refuse to forgive or when we pick up that offense, it's always, I can't believe they did this to me. How could you treat me like this? How could you do that to me? Don't you know how you hurt me? It's elevating ourselves in a way that causes us to think too highly of ourselves. It's the pride of life. Anything that you are doing to elevate yourself above God or others is the pride of life. What are you doing to elevate yourself above God or above others? See, we we see in 1 John, the, 
desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. We see it in the garden, but we don't just see it in the garden. We also see it in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, he's fasting. And the same way Satan came to tempt Eve in the garden, Satan comes and he tempts Jesus. What does he tell him? You must be hungry. Turn this stone into a loaf of bread. It's the desire of the flesh. What feels good to you? Hey, let's go up on top of the temple. You see all the kingdoms of the world? I'll give that to you. If you worship me, it's the desire of the eyes. Do you see it? Do you want it? If you really are the son of God, jump off this mountain, the pride of life. Are you who you say you are? Do you want to elevate yourself to the point of testing God in that? The same way he tempts Eve is the same way he tempts Jesus is the same way he tempts you and me. It's the things that feel good, the things that look good, and the things that elevate us. You want to burn your bridge between you and God? You want to create some, some, some friction in that relationship? That connection is now lost? It's not just sin. Yes, it's sin, but it's sin in these areas. And it's through these areas that the enemy will come and try and get you to burn that bridge. How do we build the bridge? Okay, if those are the ways that we burn the bridge, then how do we, what is the antidote to that? I'm going to give you two things if you're, if you're taking notes. First one is this, humility. Humility will, will build that bridge. Well, Pastor John, you can't just, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to redeem. Jesus is the one who came to restore. Jesus is the one, yes. And this message could have very easily been preached, sin and Jesus. What burns the bridge? Sin. What builds the bridge? Jesus. And if that's all it took for you to get it, then that's all I would have said. But I know you're stubborn. I know it's hard and I need to teach it what it would take for me to understand it. And so, yes, Jesus, but here's why I say humility, because humility will lead you to Jesus. Because humility is a proper understanding of ourselves. And when you properly understand yourself, then you understand that you are a Wicked, wicked sinner in desperate need of a savior. When you fully understand where you are in life, you recognize that the wages of your sin is death. And the only logical thing for a holy God to do is to judge you based on your sin. But in humility, when we, when we go to God, what we find is that in his love, he sent his son to pay the price for us. Not, not because of you, but because of his son. He offered his son as a sacrifice. The only one who could ever take the place. And when we have an understanding of that, then the only response that we have is to humbly come before him and say, God, I don't deserve you, but in, in my heart of gratitude, I thank you for that. Humility is the antidote to the pride of life. Humble people don't get offended. If you find yourself picking up offense, then ask yourself and, and ask God to show you any area of your life where you are, are not operating in humility. Because humble people don't get offended. You can't offend me if I recognize that I'm a sinner in the first place. I'm nobody. Humble people don't withhold forgiveness. 
And so if there's anybody in your life that you have refused to forgive because of what they did to you, the reason why humble people don't withhold forgiveness is because God, in, in my sin, you forgave me. And so if you forgave me of so much, then who am I to withhold forgiveness from somebody who said something stupid to me 20 years ago? Who am I to withhold somebody, something against somebody who, who, who offended me five, when my sin was so offensive to you that the only thing you could do is to judge me based on that, yet you showed me mercy and grace and love, and in my offense towards you, you forgave me? We have too many Christians walking around with the pride of life, thinking better of themselves than they should, holding unforgiveness and holding offenses against their brother, against the world, against all the... I'm just so offended. There's a reason why they call it picking up an offense. Because you have the opportunity to either pick it up or let it go. I just picked up an offense. Well, why'd you do that? Put it down. Don't pick it up next time. Humble yourself. Have a proper view of yourself and a proper understanding of, of who you are. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. What is that? That's building a bridge. How do I build this bridge? Humble yourself before him. Run to him. Recognize you need him. Your dependence on him. You can't do. God, without you, I can do nothing. God, I need you today. God, I need you to, to be the, the husband I need to be, to be the father I need to be, to be the pastor I need to be, to go into stinking Walmart to get the groceries that I need to get. I need you. Otherwise, I'm going to say something. God, I need you. And humility leads us to this place of dependence on God. So humility is the antidote to the pride of life. What's the antidote to the desires of the flesh and the desires of our eyes? It's obedience. John chapter 14, here's what, here's what Jesus said. Go and put that script up. All who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. We will build this bridge. We will be in relationship. We will be in communion. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him as a friend. That's the picture of what God wants. What that hinges on is our obedience. What that hinges on is us saying yes to what God say, says yes to. I think, I think obedience is one of those, those things in the church today where when we talk about it, it's like, yeah, that just rubs me the wrong way. And I, don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. You know what's sad? And this is for free. And you can come up if you're coming up to play the keys. You can come up. What's sad is that as, as Barna and these other groups are starting to do research on the state of the church, what they're finding is, is how incredibly low the percentage of Christ followers who say that, that God's word is accurate, God's word is true, and God's word is applicable for us today. It's like 37% of Christians say that God's word is the moral standard for our lives that we should use. It's incredibly low. We're looking to the world to tell us what is right and what is wrong and what is true. When the only place that we find that is in God's word. 
But we're filling ourselves with all of these different ideas that sound good and they feel good and they look good and they make us feel good about ourselves. Turning away from God's word and living according to our flesh. And then we come to church and it's like, we have to be obedient to God's word and you have to do what it says. You have to live according to the standard that it says for us. It's like, I don't know that I want to do that. And I think one of the reasons why it's difficult for us to, to live that way is because we view obedience as a list of what not to do. And I think it would benefit us greatly to reconceptualize and to change the way we think about obedience. So many of us, you know, we, we grew up and the Bible was used as a hammer to hit us upside the head. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And yes, the law is there, the Old Testament is there, the Ten Commandments are there for a reason. But if you change the way you think about it from don't do this or I have to do that to I get to do this. And I would, I would challenge you that that rather than thinking of obedience as saying no to what God says no to, instead change it in your mind to living a life that says yes to what God says yes to. Does that make sense? Like, you know, the Bible says don't, don't covet. Don't look at these things and desire these things. And, and rather than like, I have to not do this. Because have you, how many of you ever told a kid not to do something? What'd they do? Whatever you told them. Don't you do that. And then they give you that little look and they're like, I said no. If I told you all, don't think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about right now? Why? Because he told me not to. So many times we, we treat God's word that way, but I would, I would challenge you. Rather than thinking of what does God say no to, ask yourself, what does God say yes to? And it changes from I have to pray to I get to communicate with God every day. I get to talk to God at any time. It changes from I have to read my Bible to I get to learn more about his character and I get to have revelations straight from his heart to my heart. It changes from I have to, to I get to, I have to watch my mouth. I have to stop cussing to I get to instead use my words to build other people up. I have to stay sexually pure to I get to give a gift to my future spouse one day. Or even those of you that are married, I have to stay, say, you, you get to have unhindered intimacy with your spouse. And rather than thinking of, I can't do this and I have to do this, change your, change your thought process to I get to. What are you getting in return? I get to do this. Well, God says no to that. Why? Because he says yes to something else. What is God saying yes to in your life that you're saying no to? What is God challenging you in that you've, you've walked away? Again, the reality is every moment of every day, you are either placing a brick to build a bridge or you're removing a brick in the destruction of that bridge. Each and every one of us was created to be in relationship 
with God. And yes, sin entered the world. And every one of us was born into sin as sinners. David said, I was conceived in sin. But God in his love and in his grace sent his son as the ultimate bridge builder to build the bridge between God and humanity and to restore what was broken, to redeem what was lost. Today, maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your savior. Maybe you're here and it's like, there's never been a bridge between me and God. I've always known that there was something, but I've, I've never walked in that. I've never felt that. I've never understood that. I've never had that. Today, it's very simple. You would just confess your sins. The Bible says he's faithful to forgive you of your sin. You would just call upon the name of the Lord that you would be saved. If you submit and surrender your life to him, he causes your spirit to come alive and leads you on the path of everlasting life. This morning, if you're here, I just wanna pray with you. Just ask if, if you would repeat this prayer after me with every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, would you help us pray today? Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you bridged the gap between eternity and humanity and you brought together what was broken. Today, I confess, I've done things and I've said things, I've made mistakes, I've sinned. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me and cleanse me? Would you give me new life? And would you lead me according to your word? Help me to live for you accepting you as the Lord of my life, walking in humility and walking in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, let me pray for us today. Lord, I thank you. Thank you that you created us for relationship. I thank you that we even have the opportunity to talk about bridges between us and you because God, in all honesty, because of our sin, there should be no chance for us. Yet you set your son we thank you for that. And, and today, Lord, for those of us that, that have done more to burn bridges than build them, for those of us that have, have lived more for what feels good or what looks good or what makes us feel good about ourselves, we've succumbed to the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and, and the pride that this life has to offer. Lord, today we, we confess, we repent, we lay those things on the altar. Say, God, help us to walk in humility. Help us to walk in obedience, saying yes to what you say yes to. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and that you would guide us. And Lord, if there's anything in us that needs to, needs to change or needs to be altered, needs to be brought to a place of correction, I pray that you would do that. For those of us that need to be encouraged today, would you encourage us as we go? We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Hey, remember next Sunday. Talking about marriage, me and Pastor Angel both gonna be up here. That's gonna be a lot of fun. And again, if you haven't, if you haven't taken care of your lock, those are out there in the foyer for you. Be blessed. Have a great day. Love you guys. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things. Helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals. And we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes no matter where you are in your walk with Christ.